You know how fast you're going? What? How fast you're going? I don't know. Ten? Eight. Be advised, this is an explicit podcast, so if you're easily offended, get your panties twisted into a knot, turn this off before you get butt hurt and mad, start to cry, have to run to your safe space. All opinions are those of the host and his guest, and do not reflect the opinions of any government agency. Welcome to another episode of Motor Cop Chronicles Podcast. I'm your host, Iceman, as always. We do have a special guest in the, the clubhouse, in the studio tonight. Uh, might be doing two parts. We'll try to anyway. Anyway, we're going to introduce uh, Mr. Edgar Allan Popo. Welcome to the clubhouse, Mr. Popo. Thank you, Mr. Iceman. <laughs> uh, Mr. Popo is a, a supervisor in the department he works with, and like always, we keep everything anonymous and everything. So we'll try to do the first part uh, a little more serious than we always do. I mean, like I've been doing, and uh, then on the second part, we'll try to get in a whole bunch of funny stuff and the reason I gave we gave him the nickname of Edgar Allan Popo is because he's uh he he does have his stories. That's a myth. <laughs> it's, it's not a myth. <laughs> I've been there and I've listened to plenty of them. I've been I've been on them for a while. Finally got them in here, so we're gonna make the best of it. So we're gonna start. I'm gonna ask you a couple questions, just like some little icebreaker type things. What is your favorite restaurant? Lambert's Cafe. Lambert's Cafe. Is this like a uh, down-home cooking or home Cajun? of the Throad Road. Oh, I've been to one of those up, I think, in Mississippi or Alabama or somewhere. Alabama. Yes, yes. They, they do throw. They will be in the back of the head yeah. <laughs> with a hot ball of yeast. But they walk around. They also walk around with, like, bowls of uh, stuff. trays. Or something. I, I don't. Yeah. I've been there once or twice. Yeah, it's kind of like whether you want it or not. You better tell them. You, you better tell them you don't if you don't. Fixing to get it. <laughs> I think when I was at one of them, uh, I don't know if you raise your hand, they'd throw the roll at you. That's right. And the, I think the guy missed and beating his kid upside the head with a roll. They will. They are deadly. <laughs> they are deadly. They will. They will hit you from clean across the restaurant. With a high-speed ball of yeast. That, that, that's a good place to eat. So what is your uh, favorite beverage? Well, I don't know if I have a favorite. Uh, and if I did have a favorite, I don't know if I remember the last time I drank too much of it. Uh, so I didn't say too much. Just what's your favorite thing to drink? Oh, Diet Coke is the breakfast of champion. Okay, so he's a diet, the Diet Coke 
You ain't went to Diet Pepsi. You still drinking a Woka Cola? Diet Pepsi is for <laughs> sissies. Yeah, but the other one's woke. I don't care. <laughs> okay. What's your favorite movie? Saving Private Ryan is probably the most my favorite movie of all time. Yeah, I think I started watching that uh, on Netflix recently. Actually, I still can't get over the dagger or the, <laughs> the the bayonet scene where the German just eases that bayonet into that guy's chest. Oh yeah, yeah, really combat. First time I saw that, that gave me chills. That that made my skin crawl. And uh, all I could think was. You poor bastard. It's going to hurt. Yeah, this is going to hurt. And uh, everybody that listens normally uh, knows that I'm an 11-over guy, but if you pull people over, you're an 11 or or a 10 or a 15-over guy. I'm a supervisor now. You pretty much have to run into me <laughs> and, All right. and damage my vehicle if, to if, get me to when write you, you, a when, you when you were not a supervisor. When I was not a supervisor? Um, I think, and and, and I'm going to be serious for just a second. No, I'm not. Um, <laughs> I was one that if you were doing something that was just patently unsafe, you know, it's raining, you're doing 20 over. Yeah, I got you. But I never really had a set speed. My, my purpose was to correct the driver's behavior if it was errant. And if I felt like a warning would do that, then I would issue a warning. But if I felt like, you know, I pulled somebody over and their traffic history read like war and peace, yeah, you probably were going to get written. But attitude went a long way. Honesty went a long way. You know, you walk up to the guy and or gal and they look at you and, they seem to be contrite, and they're honest about things. You know, that's that's correctable, I think. These only big words like contrite and stuff like that. That's that'll be five dollars. That's, that's <laughs> where the Edgar Allen Popo come in at. Well, he's obviously nicer than me because if I pull you over, you're ninety nine point five percent gonna get a ticket <laughs> because you're a motor cop. That. The, the title of the show. <laughs> so let's get in a little some of the stuff. Like I said, we can if try. I had to freeze my testicles off one fourth of the year or, or, or one third of the year, and then I had to burn my hair off for another third of the year, I'd have a bad attitude too. I'd be, I'd writing, bad I'd attitude. be writing tickets. It, it does real good on the tan. I was told the other day when we were looking for somebody, and uh, I think, yeah, I don't know if y'all are working out, but anyway, and they said the person we were looking for was an interracial fella, and he was just about my color. So, <laughs> you know, I, I get a pretty good tan working on the motorcycles out there. So, Especially in Louisiana. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I'm probably Especially in Louisiana. Right. I actually put some uh, sunscreen on. I've been trying to use that. I've gotten, are you using, are you using Hawaiian Tropic for that? No, for that I got. I'm look? using whatever Dollar General spray shit they got. I can get for cheap. So, 
That's what it's called, Dollar General Spray Shit. Yeah, that's the way I get. Go get the Dollar General Spray Shit SPF like 2000. And so, and, and, and and it probably smells kind of like it's named, right? No, it's my smell, Coconut Deliciousness. Coconut Deliciousness. All righty then. And all this time, you know, you got me over here getting a little bit moist. Oh, the, Talking about the, Coconut Deliciousness. One of my favorite words, Moist. Moist. <laughs> That's considered to be the least favorite word in English language. But uh, when I hear the word moist, uh, Mm -hmm. I think of Betty Crocker. Really? Yeah. Because her cakes are moist and delicious. Maybe she might have been moist and delicious, too. But I I don't know. But when I hear moist, I think of Betty Crocker. I thought she was super moist. (laughs) It makes me think of her. Is that just a certain brand? (laughs) No, that's the... uh, Subdivision. Of yes, the that Betty that's Crocker the uh, the super moist brand was the drunk Betty Crocker. Oh, and just regular moist was sober Betty Crocker. I got you. <laughs> I got you. See, I'm glad you cleared that up yeah. for me because I, I all my I've audience often, members would be happy. I've about often it. laid awake at night wondering the difference between moist and super moist. You were contemplating that dilemma. That's right. That's right. <laughs> yeah, you don't have to. You get some more rest. Absolutely. So being a supervisor, which I was a supervisor at my other department, but uh, being a supervisor, how is it dealing with all, all the different personalities and trying to get them to mesh mesh together? Because you know, you know, you got one person here might be like this, another person over here is like that, and you got to keep everybody trying to keep trying to keep everybody working, happy, and non confrontational with have each you other. Got, have you got another? Have you got another five on you? <laughs> Another five what? Another five dollar. Oh, you about to I'm, school I'm fixing me? To drop, I'm fixing to drop another five dollar word. Uh-oh. And I, I wanted to be compensated. I'm, I'm going to have to get, let me just write this shit down here. Run the tab. Just keep a tab. <laughs> yeah, I got you. And and when, we, when we're when through, <laughs> just uh, just take your debit card, swipe it down the crack of my ass, and tell me keep the change. Okay, I'll, I'll do that. Okay, good. <laughs> so, well, synergy. Synergy is what I really work hard to accomplish on dealing with my team because you've got some guys who are stronger in some areas and some guys who are, you know, and they're weaker in other areas. And then you got some guys whose strengths lie, uh, you know, elsewhere in other facets of their job performance. And, and when you're able to... You used the right word. You used mesh. When you're able to take these guys and first off, I want everybody to know everybody's job. I want everybody to know what everybody else does, why they do it, how they do it. Because, um, you know, like like Hal Moore said, I, I want my warriors to nurse from every woman in the tribe and call them all mother. And I want them to call all the old senior warriors grandfather. Um, I want these guys to know what they do, when to do it, how to do it, why to do it. But I also want them to know how each other does it and their own strengths, their own weaknesses, the other guy's strengths, the other guy's weaknesses, so that we can achieve a greater sum from the contributions of all than 
their individual contributions alone, that propels the team into performance levels that they're not capable of when they attack things as individuals, and that's called synergy. Y'all kicked all that, that knowledge you dropping on y'all out there? hope so. So that's that's Mark $10. No, $10, okay. Ten, $10 on that tab. I should have done this earlier. Give us a little uh, background on you. I know you've been doing this a long time and stuff. Just give me a... Well, I graduated from the academy uh, the day before yesterday. <laughs> um, Whatever. I uh, now actually I started uh, I started in reserves in 1987, and uh, I worked reserves while I was in college, and uh, I was the the son of a law enforcement officer, the grandson of a law enforcement officer, the brother of a law enforcement officer, um, and it kind of was running in the family. Third generation there. Military, huh? military service and law enforcement have run, kind of run through the family. But I, uh, I took my first full-time law enforcement job in 88. I say law enforcement. I'm going to take that back. It was, it was actually corrections, corrections and emergency medical. Uh, in 88 and uh, I moved from there to actual street law enforcement and I I don't want to beg the comparison between the two because a correctional foundation is a very good foundation for a law enforcement officer to uh, to be introduced to the mentality of the predator criminal mindset yeah yeah you know the attitudes and, and and the pervading you know, perceptions of, of, you know, how these guys operate, you know, you, and, and I'm, and, and I'm going to tell you the one thing that I, that I always kind of quipped about was, uh, that's $5 quipped, quipped <laughs> $5. One thing that I always quipped about was, uh, you know, the faces that you see in jail are going to be the faces that you see on the street if you stay in the same jurisdiction and, and, you're gonna. I'm. On, I'm actually on my third generation. I'm arresting grandchildren. Frequent flyers. I'm arresting grandchildren of men that I arrested. Well, they're just keeping it in the family. Years ago, but the the, the thing is, 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 correctional foundation is a very firm foundation to lead into professional law enforcement career, and I did gravitate through corrections, and then I went into, you know, actual street law enforcement and. All total now, I've got about 26 years on the job. Uh, I've got a bachelor's in business administration with a, a emphasis in human behavior. Um, I, uh, I've worked in several different divisions in the past, but I've always been uniform patrol and at heart, and that's where I'm at now, which... You know, I, I'm not, I'm not gonna, not gonna diss the motor cops on their own show, but uniform patrol is kind of all things to all people, and they are the catch-all. They do a little bit of everything, and if they're good, they don't hand detectives reports; they hand them cases. Uh, there's a big difference. Um, but uniforms where my heart's been. I used to joke around and say that uh, 
Detectives make movies. Uniform Patrol makes history. Uh, and if you don't believe me, just look at the stories of Jeffrey Dahmer and John Wayne Gacy and uh, most of the, the serial killers, the most prolific serial killer in the United States. You remember who he was? Hmm. If it's a lot of serial Considered killers. Considered to be most prolific was Ted Bundy. I, I was going to say Bundy, but I was also <laughs> going to say maybe Dahmer, too. It was a uniform patrol cop writing a parking ticket yep. to Bundy's Volkswagen Beetle. His Beetle Bug. That actually broke his reign of terror. Uh, and that was just a, a street cop doing his job. Always keeping an eye on the bigger picture. Well, I started my career, and uh, I did like four, three or four years. I don't remember so long ago, in uh, corrections for the state. You know, in a prison, uh, local prison, and then I went to reserves, and I started. I went to uniform, and I worked uniform. I'm for you know night shift, day shift, and then finally got the motors. Then I. I bailiffed. I worked in the. I bailiffed for a while, so Finally I've been back and forth. The sublime level. I just like being motors. Motor no, I've actually I passed up. When I was a motor sergeant motors at my department, I passed up uh, two lieutenant promotion opportunities. I could have went to lieutenant, passed it up because it took me out of motors and uh, just. You know, I, I got offered to go to detectives before well, and all that stuff, to. and I just I'm kind of like you love working the street. I just love being a motor cop. So well, you you like being the cop that makes other cops nervous. Nah, I don't know if that's true as much as it used to be. This new generation of cops they got out there, and me and you're about the same age. How is it supervising these millennium millennials that are coming up through the ranks now? Because they're a whole different breed than, than me and you. Well, I'm going to tell you, I, I really, I'm very impressed with the knowledge that a lot of these younger guys are coming with. You know, we didn't have the internet. We had a library. We had a school. We had books. And these these kids are, are, are coming out with, knowledge that's gained by being in an informational environment and having access to information that we never had. Some of it even factual. Um, and just the ability to have any kind of information that they want at their fingertips, merely at their request. In a way... We had to search for it. <laughs> Yeah, we well. We had to dig through books and shit. We also had to do things called like memorize. You know, we don't have to memorize anymore. We can no. just Google. Um, and, and in a way, the younger folks that we're we're being introduced to and and we're putting to work now are sharper than we were in a lot of ways. But in other ways, they're I don't find them to be as they don't seem to have the same work ethic, a lot of them, because they've gotten it kind of easy and they haven't had to do the memory thing or search near as hard. So it's a two-edged sword. <clears throat> They're sharp, 
and they're sharp about things that they're interested in, but they tend to be less uh, astute, $5, please, uh, about things that they're not as interested in. I've found that they are much, much more advanced in their problem-solving abilities, but they want to work through a problem and I think that we've found that adult learning is totally different now. When we, when we field train a new officer, we used to just tell them, this is how it's done, this is the protocol, this is the procedure, this is what you do. Um, now, we have to, if we really want to be effective with them, we just give them the problem. We just tell them, okay, this is the problem, now work through it and give me a solution. And they will figure it out if you give them the time and the resources that they need to do it. And they don't want to be talked to as much. They want to be able to work through situations by sounding it out in their head and talking to you about it. Um, and they will usually, usually arrive at a very, very close conclusion to what you're hoping they're going to to say or to 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 the solution that you want to hear from them, sometimes they'll surprise you. Sometimes they'll give you better than, than what you expect. For the most part. They still got some of them little – I've seen some – they don't usually don't last very long, but I've seen some of them that just come up and you're like, oh, God, this kid's not going to make it. But well, also I've seen some of these the younger ones there. You seem like you got to pat them on the head and tell them what a good job they're doing a lot more than they we ever had to do or would have even expected. They love to get the show up award. Uh, yeah. yeah, they do. They do. Uh, well, but you know what? We should be freer with our recognition. And, and, and our old school ways of thinking is this is a thankless job. Don't you dare thank anybody for anything that they're doing. And the truth is, is that you've got cops out there that are doing heroic shit every day. Okay. I'm yep. just, just going to oh, yeah. I'm just going to throw that out there. Okay. We don't, I'm, I don't want to be a fan. And they don't get a credit. And credit, I'm not trying to. For it. I'm not trying to just, you know, toot horns. But the truth is, is the first time I ask Joe Blow, let's just say the accountant, excuse me, sir, will you run across these backyards at two thirty in the morning chasing a guy that you know has a gun in his hand? He's going to just kind of look at you and go, oh, no, I'm not about to do that. But I'm going to tell you something. you got guys that are out there that are doing that. And they're doing it because it's their job. And the reason why they're doing that job, even though the, the pay is not the greatest and the hours suck and your family is going to wonder why every time they need you, you you're, you're gone helping somebody else. Um, so you're trying to tell me not everybody wants to work holidays like Christmas and Easter and Thanksgiving away from their family and people don't want to, you know, every time a disaster or something happens, they don't want to be at home with their family and they, they, they don't want to be at work. Well, okay. What I'm going to tell you is that I want to be with my family when a disaster happens. And yeah, I, I, I was being sarcastic. I don't want to work holidays and I don't want to work every other weekend and I don't want to work 12 hour rotating shifts, one month days, one month nights, one week days, one week nights, two weeks days, two weeks nights. I don't want to have to work two jobs um, aside from the job that I work primarily. 
in order to afford to do the job that I want to, that I want to do. Um, there's a lot of things that I don't want to do. There's a lot of things about this job that, that are, that are taxing on both family and, and personally, emotionally taxing, especially, but you have to sit down sometimes and remind yourself why you do it. Yeah, that's, that's true. I mean, I know, uh, thinking the last uh, what week, basically, or the last two weeks, uh, I mean, you know, we've had crashes where, you know, a young lady died and or a house fire where a young child dies in it. So you got to, and then after you finished working that stuff, you're expected to go back and just do your job like, you know, you just didn't experience or go through this or have to talk to somebody's family and you know you still got to go on and your next call you may have to be you know doing something else that has totally nothing to do with it and you gotta you can't you carry it with you but you can't carry it with you if you know what i'm saying well there there are two schools of thought i think which they're more but they're two primary you know on one hand i think it's really cool that they give me a fairly comfortable, decent-looking uniform. They uh, they put me in a nice, clean, fairly new car that is beefed up a little bit, handles pretty well, goes kind of fast. They put these cool little blinky lights on top of it so you feel like you're at a disco. Um, they pay for the gas. They strap a gun to your ass. And they tell you to go looking for trouble at night. And then they pay you for it. And then you get, well, you back man utility belt. Yeah. (laughs) But then they pay you for it. I mean, what do you do for fun? I know. I get paid Um, to ride a motorcycle. There's that one school of thought. Now, I don't necessarily subscribe to that school of thought, but I thought I would mention it just to be able to plug that school of thought. Um, And then there's the other school of thought, which is the one that I'm more subscribed to. Um. I really don't think that you can take a 20-year cop, 20-plus years especially, you know, anyone that has gone through the crisis of belief and has not only worked right but lived right to keep themselves with a job. Because you and I both know that you get out there and you embarrass your department you disgrace your department. You make them look like monkeys, and and what's going to happen to you? You're gonna, you're gonna find yourself out of a job. Yep. And you're gonna find yourself out of a career if it gets, you know, um, if it's too embarrassing, nobody's gonna pick you up. Nope. You get blackballed. Blackballed. Um. But what keeps you working right and living right over that period of time? Because you've got to do both. You can't just you can't just work right because if you don't live right along with working right, you're you're a hypocrite. Nobody will have anything to do with you. You have no credibility, and like I say, you give your department a black eye, you give your administration a black eye. They're not going to tolerate that, especially elected officials and such. Um, what keeps you doing that is a very deep, abiding love for your community and the people that live in it. Um, You want them at peace and you want to help them when they're in trouble. And you want to take people who 
are victimizing them and you want to put them in a place where they can't do that anymore. Um, you want to make a difference. And when I came out as a rook and I first started, that's what I wanted. I wanted to make a difference. Save the world. Yeah. And then I learned kind of quick that you can't save the world. Um, but it's kind of like the old, kind of like the old guy, two guys on a beach. You heard about them? No, but I heard about two cows down the hill, two bulls on the hill. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You just want to talk Let's about Let's walk <laughs> down there. Yeah, no. Yeah. Uh, colas, colas. <laughs> no, uh, the guy, that the, there's two guys walking down the beach and, and they see these starfish that are washed up on the beach and one guy picks up a, a starfish every time they come to one and he chunks it out in the water. The other guy looks at him and he says, what are you doing? He says, well, I'm saving that starfish. And as they walk down a little further, he sees another starfish. He picks him up, chunks him back out in the water. He says, why are you doing that? He says, well, if I don't chunk that starfish back out in the water, it's going to stay up here on the beach and it's going to dry up before the tide comes back in. He says, yeah, but, I mean, there are millions of starfish that have washed up on the beaches all over the world. What difference does it make if you chunk one starfish out there in the water and save him? He says, well, tell that to that starfish that I just chunked out there. <laughs> I can't save all the starfish. But if I just save one, then I've done my job. And maybe if everybody else sees me chunking that starfish back out there, you know, maybe they'll start picking up their own starfish and they'll start chunking them back out in the water and maybe there'll be a lot more starfish yeah uh, that that that's good i hadn't heard that one that's good thought i wish more people would see us doing good and are you try warm to do and, good are you too. warm and fuzzy guys? <laughs> i don't am i making it takes it takes I quite make, a bit to get me warm and fuzzy <laughs> but I, that that's a, that's a good uh am i making I like you moist that. no i'm Unmoist. I'm like okay. overbaked and dried oh. up. Okay. <laughs> I'm not going to stop until you Maybe get some super moist. Ill or something. But <laughs> Just saying. I, I don't know if you have or not. We've never discussed anything, but a uh, big thing in. Uh, no, I, I like women. Lawn, no, law enforcement now is. Uh, it's not like to be discussed much as uh, like suicide rate in law enforcement. I hope you hadn't. Like so we never discussed it. It's not something you just, you know, get up and say, Oh, hey, you get anybody, you know I've never off I've never I've never committed suicide. No, I mean um like cops killing themselves. I don't know if you ever had anybody working for you or had any buddies of yours or Well and then As long and as I'm not triggering you. I, no, no, I'm I'm you're not gonna trigger me. Actually I just had some correspondence with a friend of mine. Um, who is with an organization that is that is trying to address that problem? Um, we're just now waking up to the reality, and 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 a lot of this had to do with war. Um, war has taught us things over the over the years. You know, every war that we've ever fought has taught us something new about ourselves, and we've adjusted and we've started to compensate more. This last few wars that we fought created uh, a phenomenon of, of sorts 
called post-traumatic stress disorder that I say the phenom- I say it being a phenomenon. In other words, we didn't recognize what it was for the longest time, and we're just now starting to recognize it. Yeah, he's caught from the other people. He's called it shell shock or whatever. Right. It was well. It was battle fatigue, and then it was shell shock, and then it was this, and then it was that, and and now it's PTSD. Um, but what um, what we're learning is that PTSD, post-traumatic stress disorder, is not an illness. It is literally a brain injury. And it, it changes the way that we think about things to such an extent that it creates, you know, its, its particular traits, you know, avoidance behaviors and, and the, uh, the vivid chaotic dreams and the flashbacks and things like that. Um, I'm going to I'm going to say something that maybe a lot of people are going to get offended by. I don't believe that there is a single veteran police officer, law enforcement officer, deputy sheriff, trooper. Um and when I say veteran, I mean veteran who does not suffer a certain level of of symptoms of post traumatic stress disorder. Um Guys who don't sit with their back to the door, you know that's an abo- that's an avoidance behavior. Um, never driving the same way twice in a row, going home. Or, or if you're going home and somebody's been behind you too long, driving yeah. past your own house just to see if they're following. I've done that several times. To a great <laughs> well, to a great extent, it's 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 conditioning. It is operant conditioning, stimulus response, stimulus response, stimulus response, but. It does rewire the mind to an extent, and constant or almost constant stark exposure to trauma, to crisis, it does change, it does change the mind significantly. And I'm glad to see that we're finally waking up to, you know, hey, you can't stay in crisis mode constantly and consistently without suffering some um, some ill effects. Um, I know that in uh, some works there, they talk about, you know, the thing that, that makes us different and sets us apart is the fact that we can go into a corrosive environment we can deal with interpersonal human aggression. We can deal with crisis and deal with it very effectively and then walk out on the other side and still function, and that's great. But the problem that we're facing is that when we bathe ourselves in it repeatedly over the course of years, at some point we risk breakdown. We risk being completely overwhelmed by what we've seen and what we've done and what we've had to do by the responsibility that we've, that we've shouldered and by just the stark reality of the frailness, the frailty of life. Um, both of those incidents that you just discussed or that you just mentioned, the, uh, the ejection crash and then the, the, uh, the residence fire, 
uh, I was I was on those scenes. I was the first one, uh, the first responder to one scene, and then I I was uh, also present on the other scene, and um, my old FTO years ago said that doing this job, you put a backpack on your back. And every scene that you go to, it's like taking a little rock and drop it in the backpack. And the more rocks you accumulate, the heavier that backpack gets until it starts weighing you down. And you got to figure out a way to unload that backpack. And you got to figure out a way to dump it out in a healthy way and not a, a detrimental way to you. And unfortunately, a lot of, a lot of guys... They can't seem to unload that backpack in a healthy way. They, you know, they'll turn to alcohol, they'll turn to, God forbid, they'll turn to, to drugs or sexual promiscuity or, you know, various different pursuits that give them some pause, some relief, some escape from that reality, from the weight that they carry emotionally. Now, they're... There are other things that are healthy ways to unload that backpack. You know, there are hobbies, there's music, there's, there's uh, faith, faith-based activities. There, there are other things that you can do to unload that backpack and, and, and lighten it up some. And to be frank about it, five more dollars. Um, Who's Frank? <coughs> oh, that's Joe's buddy. They, oh, okay. they go fishing together. Um if we don't start emotionally supporting our guys out there better, if we don't start giving them the opportunity to debrief, if, they don't, if we don't start giving them support throughout their career, and we've we got to we lose the bravado. We've got to lose the perception that, oh, he's tough, he'll get through it. You know, he just needs time, or he just needs this, or he just needs that, or put him right back in the saddle because otherwise he'll lose the edge. If if we don't if we don't recognize that it's not one incident that creates post traumatic stress disorder, it's the accumulation of the stressors in these guys' lives. It's the fact that, you know, they're considered to be um, a liability if for some reason we think they need some kind of support. You know, we just ostracize them. We just, we distance ourselves from them. This guy's having a hard time. We don't really rally around these guys. And I want to mention, and I, and I probably, I'm not going to mention the name, but a very good friend of ours. And I want to give a quick shout out to the guys who might be listening in or that I'm going to I'm going to send links to from the old officer resource forums uh, APB web and and law enforcement forums that uh, were popular that I was uh, a, a member of um, we had a friend who took his life and shocked us all um, and a guy that we he was salt of the earth good people and we all loved him and uh, one morning he drove to his church in the parking lot and he killed himself. And uh, he shocked us all. And we loved him dearly. 
and we still do. Um, remember Lee, everybody. And take that 20-minute pause. Look at your emotional compass and know where True North is. And just hold on. Just breathe. That's all you got to do. Reach out and hold on. Because if you can make it through that 20 minutes, you're not going to do it. You're just not going to do it. You're going to see hope. You're going to see a light. You're going to realize that there's a reason for forever. And you're going to want to... You're going to want to face that. And if you see one of your buddies, even though it ain't the big copley, big ball thing to do or whatever, especially us being, you know, as they say, whatever, a bunch of alpha males or whatever, if you see you spend enough time with guys on your shift and you see your buddies and you see one that's not acting right, uh, and, you know, Especially when I was a supervisor, I pretty much knew what was going on in all my guys' lives. I didn't try to interject myself or whatever. I just liked to know. I wanted to know where everybody's mindset was every single day. If they were having issues at home, anything to have. I wouldn't give them advice on it, but I wanted. I would just kind of want to know, hey, if you, them, them and their, their wife and them are fighting, if they're having what kind of issues. I would try to know where their mind was. And if you see one of your buddies and you know that he's having some kind of issues at home or they're having financial issues or he's having had a bad call or something like that, watch him. You know if he's changing. Don't be, you know, so macho not to go ask him to make sure his mind is where it's supposed to be. And and don't be scared. Like I said, some departments, some big departments might have psych, psych people. Some smaller ones don't. There are private people. You in most all apartments you have medical insurance. Go talk to somebody out of your own pocket that costs you twenty and thirty dollars. It's nothing to do with the department if you're scared they're gonna, you know, make you a section eight or something like that. Just go talk to somebody. Instead oh. or if, you know, go talk to your buddy. You, everybody's gonna have that one friend or whatever before you go and do something stupid. But if you see one of your buddies you're having concerns with, pull him to the side. Talk to him personally. That might be that little bit that might keep him from going over the edge on something like that. And, and you know, the thing is, is it, we primarily talk about law enforcement officers, but uh, we recently had a civilian um, family member who, uh, who made that tragic decision. And we, I mean, it, it, you think back, it, it's touched a lot of people. But be looking. <clears throat> it's important whether you're a cop or you're not a cop, whether you're, you know, whatever vocation you're in, you're going to have family members who are going to go through periods of depression. You're going to have people who uh, you're, you come a, you you come across in everyday life that are friends or family that that um, may be going through a very very difficult time in their life and may be thinking about not facing the future be aware be aware be alert to the danger signs the warning signs when you find someone who has a total change of their demeanor uh like a pendulum swing when you have someone who stops talking about the future stops talking about their goals and their dreams and their aspirations 
when you have someone who seemingly takes every problem in their life and makes them PPP, which is something we, we, we talk about, permanent, personal, and pervasive. When every problem in their life seems to be permanent, personal, and pervasive in their life, it's time to not necessarily intervene and report them to anyone, but it's time to reach out to them. It's time to talk to them. Get them talking. That's the thing. It's not what you tell them. It's what they're able to tell you. And just listen and be there and support them. Because it's, it, it will make the difference. If they're able to open up, if they're able to, to verbalize their feelings, if they're able to label their emotions, and if they're able to, to work through to the core of what's causing those emotions, and you're there to listen to them. You have just become their hero. And you might actually be a hero without even knowing it. So stay alert. And, and don't be scared to reach out. Don't be scared to, 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 to solicit their feelings. And guide them through why they feel the way they do. Um... You know, you don't have to be uh, a psychiatrist or a psychologist or a social worker. You just got to be a friend. You just got to be a, a support. You just got to love them. You just got to care. And you'll do wonders in their life. You'll become a hero. And you may not even know it. But you just got to be there. You just got to reach out. Reach out to the retired guys. You know guys that retired that you work with? Because I've noticed that uh, I said stuff about it in the other. Once you leave a department or you retire, uh, it's like you're you're not there anymore. You kind of get tossed aside. I mean, if you're friends with this guy before, I mean, call and check on him. He's got a guy I work with, used to work with. He's been retired for a while. We talk at least, you know, try to at least twice a month or so. And, uh, you know, we discussed it. He's like, you know, besides me and one or two other people, he don't hear from nobody at all. I mean, just because you retired don't mean all that shit that you dealt with from all those years still ain't up inside of you. That's right. It's hard to, especially if you're in law enforcement, you know, I mean, even once you – or out of law enforcement, it's kind of hard to turn off being a cop. Well, I mean, it's, 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 it's hard to get away from. Sometimes it's hard to avoid the uh, some of the scenes that you've been on, some of the things that you've seen. Probably one of the most damaging things that I believe we face is just the stark realization of $5, please. Uh, the stark realization of how cruel human beings can be to one another. And, you know, in order to do this job effectively, in order to really be a good cop, I think, you have to have at least a bedrock belief or faith that there is good in mankind and that what you're doing is not just completely futile. Um and sometimes over the course of time, you, you that begins to erode. You begin to lose that faith. 
And, you know, you take your retired guys. These guys have gone through 25, 30 years, sometimes much more, of literally being front row to the evil that men do to one another, to innocents, to their victims. And they have felt hopeless to change or to correct or to rectify the damage that's been done in so many, so many situations. So, yeah, once again, you know, that they, they're, they're running around on, on real full backpacks and they're getting weighed down. So you just got to help them unload it. You just got to help them, you know, lighten that load, lighten that burden some. Let them talk. Gosh, just let them talk. When your buddies come up and talk to you, put your damn phone down and listen to what they say. You know, I think that's a big problem nowadays. It's just everybody, nobody talks anymore. I say that. Talking to somebody the other day, actually verbally. Well, they talk, but they and, don't listen. Well, people nowadays seem like it seems like uh, the new generation. They don't know how to talk. It, everything's through text messages and snaps and craps and tweets and pics and all that shit like that. It's like nobody uses it. They how to use real words coming out of their isn't, mouth. Isn't anymore. it amazing though? Isn't and and I don't know. It's I, I know. I, I just find it amazing that we have more ways nowadays to communicate with one another than we ever have before. Uh, we have, you know, 12 different apps on our phones that are all about communicating with other people. And we have a, 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 a we know somebody 800 miles away better than we know the guy who lives across the street. Um, and shame on us. Shame on us for getting so caught up in talking that we for we forget how to communicate. Um, yeah, uh, there, there's 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 so many ways to communicate with so many people, and, and we're becoming a global, a globally aware society. But how much of this is actually interpersonal communication? at a level that reaches anything near real, honest, sincere communication, intimacy, as it were. Um, shame on us. Well, you can't hear it to me. You can't hear. I can't hear your tone of voice. I can't hear no emotion. And it's very easy for you to text something and send it to me, and you're saying it one way. And I read it in a whole different tone than what you even said it in. Well, and, and that's because when we're reading, we're reading from our own standpoint of perception. Just like when we're listening to someone say something, we get tangled up in how we perceive things, and we we're not able to to connect enough with their perception or their perspective to uh, to to really understand and grasp their meaning. So much of communication is nonverbal. Um, so much of, of what we understand as someone's meaning is what we perceive their meaning to be based on our own predisposition about them and about our own circumstances and our, and the way that we, the way that we see things. 
Um, but sometimes, sometimes our, our minds are just not functioning properly. Um, unless they're open, you know, kind of like a parachute parachutes, not going to work if it doesn't open up. So sometimes our minds have to open and our hearts have to open to one another. And we just have to, to take things at face value and, and don't jump to conclusions. I mean, armadillos, armadillos would survive most of the time if they didn't jump up into the air and try to roll up into a ball when the truck comes at them. So, <laughs> so let's, you know, if you just stay low, y'all, just stay For low. Just any of my people listening from other countries, if you don't know what an armadillo is, you're going to have to Google it. But it's a, like a, a big rat with a hard shell on it. Okay. I'm talking, I can explain. It's like a very, very large rodent with a hard ass shell on it. And it'll roll up in a little ball, but it's, they're, they're popular, not popular, but they're, we got a lot of them down here. I saw three of them dead in the road the other day. And uh, so that's what an armadillo is. Just Google it and look at a picture. It's they're an ugly. armored rat. Yeah. <laughs> they're ugly little bastards. So. Yeah, I have people listening in other countries. They might not know what armadillo is or, or you know, in other states. And well, it is true. Armadillos actually will jump when they get scared. I know they fast as fuck. I tried to catch one one time. They when will I was jump, a kid. and they will jump and tuck into a ball. And by the time, for all they never hit the ground, actually, <laughs> because what happens is if they just stayed low, those tires would have gone right by them, and that bumper would have passed right over them. But nope, they got scared. They jumped, and as they were contorting into their ball, they wound up a hood ornament. Well, I don't know what was up. I, I guess because. We got some high water from, I guess, rivers crested and stuff. And also uh, from up north when ever all their snow and shit melts, our rivers go up down here. There's snow and shit? Yeah, snow and shit. Snow don't don't eat shit. yellow snow. <laughs> it's not lemon I tried flavored. to give that tip at a restaurant it's one not time. Lemon and she, didn't, she didn't accept that. She, she said that was not a tip. But there was, uh, I was out riding, uh, you know. Bayou area, and there, I saw three dead armadillos, and somebody ran over a fucking like three and a half foot alligator was in the road too dead. I was like, God damn, that had to be a hell of a lick. Hit <laughs> that damn alligator. They just left it there. I'd at least stop and picked it up and ate it. Ate it? Edit up, Ed cleaned it. it, and edit up. Well, look, we are almost at an hour here, and this was a super serious, probably one of my most serious ones, but I very much appreciate it, and I hope y'all enjoyed it, because I thought it was real good, and uh, come back for our next part two, because next week when we do part two, it's not going to be nothing serious at all, and this guy, I'm telling you, has a shit ton of funny stuff to say, so like I always say, if you want to get in touch with me. Email me at Motocop Chronicles Podcast at Motocop Chronicles at Gmail dot com. Uh, messages on Facebook at Motocop Chronicles Podcast. I've been putting videos up on Rumble. Y'all can go watch some videos and subscribe there. Also on YouTube, you know, every Wednesday, me and Doc Holiday are doing the news shit and news shit. It's it you got you you kind of saw one the other day. We just kind of go off. <laughs> We do and shit. We, we, shit. Yeah. I like shit. Do you have some type of fecal fetish? No, I do not. Are you getting moist over <laughs> no, there? No, super. 
Super moist. Yes. Oh my god. There's Betty Crocker. How much do you again. owe me? Have we totaled up? No, I stopped writing it down. Okay. <laughs> but uh, check us out on Wednesday. We we do live shows every Wednesday. Uh, if you uh, law enforcement previous uh, want to be law enforcement, a veteran, firefighters, correction, any type of first responders like that, and would like to be a guest on the show, or you want to send me a story and I will read it out loud in my great articulate voice, which that's all the sarcasm there, uh, hit me up. Always looking for more guests and stuff like that. And everybody uh, watch you back out there, guys, and uh, keep your head on a swivel. And remember to always smile because the Iceman could always be behind you. Cranking up on the throttle This is how legends are made